All right. Hello, everyone. The webinar has started. The conversation has started. We're in a very interesting moment right now because the topic for today's forum discussion for the 154 Art Fair is the arts in the time of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm really happy that we're able to have this discussion because for the past year, and again, May 25th is gonna be one year since the murder of George Floyd really changed history or started changing history. So next week's gonna be a very important week for us black people and also for humanity in general. Uh, for the past year, there's been a lot of debate, dialogue, disagreements, ideas uh, around what to do about racial justice in America and in other parts of the world as well. My name is Claude Grunitsky. I am from Togo. I was born in Togo, um, raised in Togo, but then I grew up a lot in Paris and London. And I've been living in New York for the past uh, 20 years, mostly documenting black culture through media ventures. So I've created several media companies, um, Trace I created and sold. It's um, a media company focused on, on black culture, True Africa is focused on global African culture is another media company that I created. And I'm very proud to say that I've been involved with uh, 154 since the beginning. Uh, True Africa has been a partner of 154 uh, pretty much in every edition since the beginning. So this is a long-term relationship. But what's interesting about the moment we're in now, which we're calling for the sake of, 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 of this discussion, the Black Lives Matter movement, is that a lot of people are wondering whether this intense interrogation of issues related to Black culture and Black people and Black identity, if it's just flavor of the month, is this just because it's the topic of the moment post George Floyd, or is it something that is gonna to lead to actual real lasting change? So with that, with that preamble, I wanted to introduce um, my fellow uh, panel members because there are three practitioners working in three very, very interesting areas within the nexus of art as the, the arts relate to global youth culture and global culture. And, um, and it's great because they bring different perspectives to this debate. Now, I want to say before I actually formally introduce them that I don't really um, want anybody to be politically correct in the questions they put into the chat because I feel like everybody should express themselves, um, you know, and, uh, you know, honestly and directly on this issue, even though it might feel sensitive in, in some aspects, I would really encourage a very healthy debate because you know, in America, this is a situation that's been going on for 400 years, and we don't necessarily expect all the issues to be solved in this one-hour forum discussion, but at least if we can spark um, the beginning of a dialogue, it will be just a, a wonderful way to participate in moving things forward. So with that, I'm, I'm very um, happy to welcome Destiny Ross Sutton, who is an international curator, advisor, artist, manager, She's based in New York. She's just actually around the corner from me in Soho here, downtown New uh, Manhattan. And she's um, created some wonderful exhibitions at, at, at museums that I'm, some of them I'm very uh, kind of closely involved with, including Mokada exhibitions in, 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 at Christie's um, and also, um, you know, the black art, um, uh, you know, the black voices um, 
uh, show that she um, that she created is really a one that a lot of people paid attention to because she spoke again very o openly, honestly, and directly about some of the issues related to the representation of of of, of black uh, people in the art world in and in, in, in also in the society in general. So um, yeah, so that was an important show last year. And I believe that um, there's going to be a lot more shows coming from Destiny Ross Sutton in the next uh, in the next uh, few years. So we're very excited about the evolution of her career. And um, so Destiny, I'm just going to have you add maybe one sentence to something important that I forgot in your bio. I'm going to do that for every panelist. <laughs> um, I mean, it, it was I think you did a pretty good job, actually. Um, I would say, um, you know, for me, art is the channel in which I became a social advocate. And I feel like uh, it's a, an essential way to talk about the human condition and how I see the world and how others might relate to seeing the world. Um, yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to the whole social advocate thing because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's important. So um, now Rudy Shepard, um, you know, it's um, it's wonderful to to be talking to you because I've been, you know, a fan of of Artsy's, uh since again since the very beginning, uh, kind of similar to my relationship with One Fifty Four, and I actually became friendly recently with the founder of, of Artsy, and we've been talking about you know what you guys have brought to the marketplace, um, you know, as this incredible platform that is helping. Uh, some of the world's leading artists to, to buy and sell art. Uh, actually, in my own world, um, as chairman of various committees in the art world and you know museums such as Massimoca, where I'm on the I'm a trustee, and other places, and the Watermill Foundation, where I was president, we've worked very closely with Artsy, and it's been great to see that you, um, as as a black man, are able to um, to kind of move the needle in the in, in the marketing of, of of art in general, but also by helping to diversify that field, um, you know, it's been um, it, it's it's great, and it's I think your 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 work is showing great promise, and, and it's getting noticed, and it's wonderful that you can be part of this discussion. I did also want to ask you uh, actually two quick questions before we get actually get started. The first one having to do with maybe one line in your bio that I might have forgotten, and the second one being about this. Uh, painting that is right behind you and that we're all able to see and enjoy. Hold on, wait a minute. I think that you might have been referring to Everett there as far as the relationship to Artsy. So I don't I'm know. sorry, Everett. I'm sorry. I'm totally yeah, out of my yeah, mind. Yeah, of course, yeah. Everett. Yeah. I have shown stuff on Artsy, but I... No, no, you both... I got confused with the two paintings in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you mixed this up there for a second. Go ahead, Everett, if you want to jump in there. Uh, yeah, he was speaking so eloquently, you know, I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> I know, I was like, I'll take those compliments. <laughs> no, it was cool hearing it uh, kind of about someone else, but but yourself. Um, no, I was going to jump in and Rudy, Rudy is an incredible artist. And I'm glad, you know, that we have some works available uh, from you on the artsy platform. And, um, you know, uh, Amanda at Latsky Gallery raves about you. So I'm really glad to be on a panel with you and, and to be able to provide a platform to artists like Rudy and, and, and a platform for galleries like uh, Ross Sutton Gallery. Um, 
Yeah, man. I think, I mean, outside of the, the name, I think you, I think you pretty much nailed it, bro. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad to be here. And, um, and I'm just really passionate about um, making the art world more accessible and democratizing the space and, um, you know, helping people that look like me or people that have not been embraced by the art world to have a fair shake at it. So, um, you know, that's that's me. So thank you, Claude, for that. You, you forgot to, to answer the second question, which is the painting in the background that got me confused in the first place. Because uh, 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 <laughs> you both have a painting in the background, which is which was very appropriate, I was saying, as a setting for this dialogue. Uh, yeah, funny enough, I'm in Soho right now, too. Like, I'm oh, like, okay. I throw a rock and hit Destiny's Gallery. Not really. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's only a couple what, blocks. But, what street? Um, she's on Wooster, I'm on Green. What street are you on? I'm not going to say. But, okay. But I'm in Soho. Um, and uh, Lasky Gallery is in, in, in Soho as well. But um, the painting behind me is Ryan Cosberg, who is showing with Luce Gallery um, and is part of 154 Fair um, for the first time. She's an incredible um, abstract painter um, who's just recently wrapping up at um, SBA here in New York. Um, just to see, you know, you, you don't see a lot of uh, black female abstract painters that, especially at that age, is as young as she is, really embracing that craft. So it's been really beautiful to see, and and I think her work is is beyond her years. And so I'm really excited to see uh, where she goes with it. I'm excited to see how she does in the fair as well. It's beautiful. It's, it's such a beautiful painting. So now the Rudy. <laughs> now to you, the real Rudy. Now, so Rudy is an artist that you know, a lot of people have been talking about over the last few years, certainly in our world, um, you know, you, you know, I think you, the word emerging doesn't actually um, do you much justice to your work because you, you, you know, your work has been seen at, at, at PS1, at Studio Museum, the Bronx Museum. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it's just really interesting how, um, you know, you've very quietly positioned yourself at the avant-garde of what's happening in art. And I want to just say black art, it's just really, it's just wonderful that with that kind of humility, you've been able to, um, you know, get on the map and, 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 and in a way just become a quiet force. So um, you were born in Baltimore is what I know. And I'm always interested in people who are born in Baltimore for a reason that I won't get into now, but it's uh, Baltimore has produced a lot of very, very interesting uh, uh, talents in, 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 the, in, the, in the creative industries. Um, but um, I want to maybe ask you if there's one thing in your bio that I, you would like us to know before we get into the discussion. And then number two, uh, what is that beautiful painting behind you? Okay, okay, sure. Um, so one thing in my bio uh, I'd like you to know, hmm, I don't know. Um, I guess I was born in Baltimore, but I also lived in Texas and upstate New York and uh, really um, D Washington DC area, like Northern Virginia. So I've moved around a lot and went to Chicago for grad school. I've lived all over the country and experienced um, just the variety of experiences as a, you know, person of color all over the, you know, from the South to, I went to school in North Carolina, you know, so I don't know. I think all of, I, I mentioned all that because I feel like all those experiences have, have sort of shaped the work that I make and, and kind of, hopefully expanded my understanding of 
things going on in the world, you know, as they relate to the, the sites that they're, they're happening at. Um, yeah, maybe I'll mention that I've had my first solo museum show last summer at the Aldrich Museum. Um, and it was very much focused on, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is very much focused on the topic we're going to talk about here, you know, sort of um, African-American people of color victims of police violence. So, yeah something I've been working on for many years and excited to have a platform to talk about that with all of you. Well, yeah, so this is, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about. And so this is how I feel. And I'm, you know, I've been in, in this media world as it relates to art and culture pretty much again for the past two uh, decades. And I've, I can speak about the evolution. And what I noticed about a year ago is that all of a sudden people woke up and they felt that they, needed to have some sort of black representation of, of something. So, you know, all of a sudden curators were getting more work, uh, new galleries, uh, you know, started uh, emerging online, new art fairs were, you know, and for me as a trustee at Mass Mocha, being the first black trustee at Mass Mocha, and as a museum that's now 33 years old, I've never had as many people uh, try to enroll me into their uh, board program. And, you know, it's just like, there's a lot of new opportunities, I'll say, that I've never, ever seen in the past two decades. And it just all started happening um, about a year ago. So I want to start there. And 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 um, I, I don't have the, 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 this question for anyone in particular, but I'm wondering how you feel about this sudden attention to Black art when we've been overlooked for so long. Uh, for, for decades and decades and centuries and centuries. And now all of a sudden it's become, as we say in London, trendy to be pushing for uh, black art and for shows that are um, produced by, 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 by black people. So who right. wants to start there? I'll, I'll jump in. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, as of last summer, you know, you mentioned George Floyd um, and the killing of George Floyd and all the protests that came out afterwards. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of phone calls and emails and people wanting to engage with me. And, you know, honestly, I mean, it's a little strange and it's easy to be suspect of it, but ultimately it's a good thing, right? Like it's an important topic I've been working on for like 15 years. And so I'm happy that people finally are, you know, um, and I think people knew that and that's why people were reaching out to me. Um, but I think over that time of the 15 years I've been working on this, um, it's been people have had interests and people have thought of me as sort of like a wet blanket and they don't want to, you know, they don't want to, you know, we're having fun here. Don't come here, you know, spoil the party by like bringing up these realities. And so ultimately it's a good thing, right? It's like this conversation is being pushed to the forefront. I'll take that opportunity. I've given a lot of lectures this year, like more than <laughs> between 2020 and 2021. I've, you know, my, the amount of lectures I think has doubled and it's like, great, sure, fine. You know, like let's have this conversation now while ears are open and it's people can connect to the relevancy. I, I think it's ultimately a good thing. And I think there's ground we can make with this and hopefully push this conversation forward uh, in this time. But the reason I wanted to start there is you mm -hmm. know, somebody who's usually always near the top of the list of people who get selected for things that are related to, you know, black art or black culture and all that, given that I've spent my career, I, you know, I, I kind of feel that there's a bit of tokenism. And sometimes when I interrogate and I get into these conversations with people who are reaching out to me, I realize they know nothing about my work. Um, you know, it's just a list, right? And so they have a laundry list of people who are 
you know, kind of, um, I guess, experts in this field. And, mm. and then if I don't want to do it, then there'll, there'll be somebody else on that list and they don't really care, but they just want a black face in there. And um, I might tell them we don't all look the same as we know, right? <laughs> but but but, but it, it's just the tokenism is something I'd like maybe um, destiny or effort if you could if you could um, if you could honestly uh, share perhaps personal anecdotes that relate to that. I definitely think it's it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that really, at least for us, it's an opportunity, not so much to just take what's being given and saying, thank you. Okay. And then kind of, you know, filling that role of being that person on the list. I think um, we have to, you know, challenge people and say, you know, um, this can't be more than just get a black person in the room. This can't be more than just, we need a face for our diversity quota. We need to ask important questions and we need to make them realize that, you know, this is more than just filling or, 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 you know, checking a box so that you, you know, I guess look woke or or whatever it may be. Um, There has to be actual effort. And I think that we definitely need to kind of put people to task to, you know, just know that what is happening you know, after we part ways, what steps are you taking to make this go beyond just here's a black person, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely see that there are people who are just trying to, you know, fill a quota, may it be for, for PR. And um, I think, you know, if I am that person called in, I'm not just gonna, you know, do necessarily what they kind of, you know, want me to do, I'm going to want to challenge them and say, you know, this is reality. Um, We have to make it more than just what you want it to be so that you continue to look good. So in terms of, I want to, I want to maybe ask you a follow-up question on that destiny, because these are things that I've reflected on when I kind of, you know, I do a lot of teaching and I, and I share um, personal anecdotes and factoids with my students. And if I look back on my career, even though I've been very successful, you know, the times that I've been less successful were when I was in the room and I was intimidated by the uh, institution or by the prestige mm-hmm. of the institution. And I, can, I cannot bring my whole black self to do to it because in a way I was trying to conform and not, and be nice, right? Because it almost felt like I was, lucky to be in that room at Goldman Sachs or wherever it might have been. And, 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 and looking back, the times that I've actually been most successful is when I've been most radical and when I've been most true to myself and my Black Rose Woolness, you know, because uh, initially when I launched the Black Rose Rule movement, it was in 1997, people were like, oh, that's racist. What do you mean Black Rose Rule? What do you mean? Do white girls don't rule? I said, well, no, I believe that Black Rose Rule. And I became the uh, the calling card for my for, for Trace, my, my former media venture, and I, you know, I was I would walk around almost every day with a Black Rose World T-shirt because I felt that was really important to just be open about defending and promoting and elevating Black culture. But in the times when I didn't do that, you know, I was actually less successful. So I guess my question to you, Destiny, is since you're engaging with a lot of 
you know, institutions that are run by, you know, white men, white females and so on. How do you stay true to who you are, knowing that there's going to be demand for Black voices because of this moment we're living in? I think that um, kind of the idea, I think that you're, uh, what brought up when you were speaking is this idea of, you know, imposter syndrome and, and you know, this, this kind of concept where there's this voice that's telling us you're lucky to be here. Uh, you don't belong in this room. Um, and I, I really just remind myself, um, I am here because I have something that they need and that my voice lends something that they need, whether it may be for, for PR or whether it may be for, you know, actual progress. Um, I remind myself that I'm in this room for a reason. I'm in this conversation for a reason. And from there, I kind of push beyond uh, what is, what they might expect from me. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it, it does get, get very intimidating. It's very anxiety inducing, but I feel like, you know, these institutions, they have massive platforms. And if I can just get on there and, and be on my soapbox for a little bit and inspire, you know, some other young kid, then honestly, that's, that's my role. You know, it isn't necessarily to serve this institution per se. It's to reach out to a wider audience and realize that um, while I'm in this space, I have to do my best to, uh, you know, expose people to a different experience than what they're accustomed to. Well, that leads me to the role uh, that somebody like you can play in being, I think you called yourself um, a social advocate, you know, which I love that phrasing because, you know, um, it, it speaks to activism, but advocacy is also really important. And I, I look back to a, a similar panel that I was on a few months ago. Again, uh, you know, Rudy, you and I, we, we've been invited to speak on many such panels on Zoom. And, and one of them was with um, one of the leaders of MoMA, and, and he was talking about, oh, you know, we're, we're so focused on diversity now. And I said, well, I had to challenge him a little bit because, you know, similar to what I experienced with Mass Mocha, which is a wonderful institution, again, a 33-year-old institution, me being the first Black trustee, um, the MoMA was launched in 1929. And I don't think they had a Black curator there until, until Smooth joined a couple years ago. And this is like from 1929 to... Um, I guess maybe 2019, there wasn't a single black curator at MoMA in New York City. Can, can you hear me? Yeah. We hear you fine, Carla. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, think, yeah okay, I think I lost you. So I, I was just saying, I guess my point I was trying to make was there wasn't a black curator from 1929 to maybe 2019. And so I was like, why did it, would it take so long for a, a, a museum in New York City, a major museum in New York City to wait that long to find one black curator? So in your role, Destiny, as, as, um, as a social advocate, how can you influence these institutions? 
I think um, it's really me kind of pushing this idea of different perspectives. Um, really all through my life, whatever career I had considered, um, I believe that the common thread has been showing people a different part of the world than what they see every day. Um, and that absolutely involves, you know, trustees and, and people in these institutions that are very used to, you know, adding their, their friend or, you know, a friend of a friend or a colleague to the board just because they're there. Um, you know, obviously they can't be the only people in, in the world who can contribute to, you know, museums and curation, you know? Um, and so it's partially getting them to realize that, you know, you're not the only people in the world that doesn't have to mean that we're forcing diversity. Um, the world exists as it exists and, you know, there are other people, there are other experiences and we should acknowledge those. They're equally as valid. Um, and, you know, whether it is a, a, a black curator or, you know, of course, like being the black first black trustee in Maskoka, it's, it's, you know, we need different perspectives. Not everyone knows everything. The more diverse uh, one's experience or, or you know, a museum can be, the more well-rounded it is, to be honest, because we get from varied experiences and we get from varied perspectives. And to assume that old, straight white men with a lot of money are the only individuals that have the only perspective in the world is frankly just short-sighted. Destiny, how do you feel that one of your shows or, or something you've created or participated in, how do you feel that maybe one of those projects might have moved the needle? Can you give us an example of something you feel might have truly had an effect, in, at least in changing opinion and perception? Um, I mean, what actually came to mind was another panel that I did uh, last year talking about... Um, you know, artist rights and kind of these contracts that have been coming up a lot. And one of the other individuals actually worked at Phillips. And so of course, um, it wasn't necessarily spoken explicitly, but there was this feeling of being at odds. But as the conversation continued, I really enjoyed speaking and responding to him the most. Um, because I feel like I learned a lot from him as someone who has been in this institution for however long he's been there. And, you know, by hopefully giving him a, a different perspective, it's like there is not necessarily take the best pieces of everyone's perspective, perfect formula. And that's really that idea that I got from it, um, that, you know, to challenge these individuals, get them thinking and, you know, ask, you know, what about this idea? Say how we staying the same is, it, you know, stagnancy isn't always good. Getting into to routine and habit isn't always good. We always have to 
try to keep moving and keep improving on ourselves and wherever we may work or contribute to. Everett, um, you said something about um, democratizing. You use the word, the verb uh, democratizing and you use it within the context of democratizing the space. Uh, and, and that's something that I feel uh, is a really, really powerful stance at this moment because of the fact that, you know, we black people have been excluded for so long, you know, and, and in terms of, you know, your, 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 your platform, which has become a very powerful platform and a global platform, uh, can you give us some examples of how you utilize kind of digital strategies to democratize the space? Yeah. Um, so, you know, for us, um, for us at Artsy, um, we, we've, we've done a great job of kind of building somewhat like the, the center of gravity of the online art space. And what's interesting about the internet um, in general is that the internet doesn't care who you are, right? Like when we've, we've built these technologies and e-commerce platforms and things like that, it's, it's a very different space that is almost at tension with how the art world has been constructed for um, a very long time. And, um, but also if you're not responsible with that technology or intentional with that technology, then you will continue to still repeat a lot of the same mistakes um, that has happened um, over the past however many hundreds of years within the world of art. And so I think I really focus on intentionality um, uh, in terms of from a technological standpoint and from a marketing standpoint, from a technological standpoint, making sure that, you know, from a, and I know most people here isn't that interested in tech, but making sure that our personalization recommendations. So the things that personalization algorithms, the things that you're being recommended, like it's not just white male artists that you are being sourced with all different types of artists from all different types of backgrounds. If you like abstract art, we're not just gonna show you abstract art from white male artists. We're gonna show you abstract art from people like Ryan Cosbert or different areas and different geographic regions and different backgrounds. And I think that's something that's extremely important. And the intentionality goes longer, uh, even further into um, internally within the company. Um, uh, before, when I joined Artsy, since joining Artsy, um, our number of Black employees have more than tripled, right? And so making sure that what we're trying to display externally is also reflected internally at Artsy, because you have a lot of people that are, um, don't really mean anything that they're saying. And we were speaking about uh, before about the tokenism and and things like that. I mean, I've already seen how like the news cycles have passed, past Black Lives Matter. I'm like doing something I can't talk about right now, but like, like, and I was pitching it on the PR side and like, no one was like biting on it. It was like, oh, does it have to do with, you know, Asian Americans right now? Because Asian Americans, like Asian Americans, that's what's hot right now. Like, if it's not that, we don't care about your black ass right now. So like, that's really how this stuff works. It's like people pick, pick and choose what moments and movements that they want to get behind 
so that they can fake care and feel good at the time. And so I wanted to make sure that at, internally at Artsy that we weren't just being performative in our actions, that we were actually changing the company internally. And lastly, sorry to be so um, verbose, is externally making sure that from our curation efforts, our editorial, our social, um, our marketing, that we are reflecting um, a very diverse and inclusive art world um, and not just the same types of people. So, um, and, and investing into highlighting Black-owned galleries, African artists, Black artists, um, people of all different um, backgrounds. So anyways, that's that's my spill on that. But, um, you know, we, we're here to, to elevate everybody that we can. It's important that we stay there a little bit because, you know, I, as I was saying earlier, I love Artsy and I've been pushing to work with Artsy as often as possible. And I was looking at your website this morning and I, I saw the list of the nine most popular artists that you've listed on the, on the homepage. And actually uh, it was interesting to see that, um, you know, actually uh, uh, three of those artists, three of the nine are black, right? So we're talking Kerry James Marshall, we're talking Kara Walker, Nick Cave, those are the, just the ones on the website. And so, um, you know, where I'm, I'm going with this is, you know, for, cause I would love to see Rudy Shepard on that list, right? So what, what you know, in terms of democratizing, you know, there's the big names, right? And I don't think Kara Walker needs Artsy that much. But, you know, what are you doing to help to elevate some of the really emerging artists who may not yet be household names and, and, and who, you know, are not as famous, to, to use a, an overused word? Well, you should see our data. Um, because if you see our data and the data that we put out there, of like the most in-demand artists or the, the artists that are growing the most in demand, like a lot of times those lists, half of them are black artists. We have helped create demand for uh, not just those artists. Those are, and, 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 and these are like the blue chip artists, et cetera, et cetera. But where we have had the most success is those new and noteworthy artists and those emerging artists, because the truth of the matter is, is that galleries, they don't, a lot of the galleries with those level of artists, they're not even making it to artsy because they sell as soon as the, those paintings are done in the studio, right? And so the the impact that we can have is really on these emerging. And so if you get, if you take some time, like, you know, it's kind of like, a beautiful woman. If you don't take the time to sit down and actually get to know who she is, you're just going to see the top layer, right? If you really right. dig into what Artsy is doing and reading our editorial, seeing what we're curating, seeing our marketing efforts, reading our emails, they're not, it's not the blue chip artists that you're seeing. We're, we're highlighting people like Destiny and the artists that she has on her roster and other smaller to mid-sized galleries and things like that. And so I think that's something that's extremely important for us. But, but have you seen more interest in specifically black artists, people who are, I don't know, I don't know how you, you track your, your data, uh, the keywords or whatever oh, people who type in right black. Now. Yeah, yeah, so there you go, like black artists. I mean, have you seen more people specifically going in for that on your platform? I mean, are we being real here? Like we, we gotta just like call it for what it is. Like, like a lot of people in the art world are financially motivated. And what's hot right now is black artists. I mean, I was watching like the last like Christie's auction and I was like, wow, like yeah. black artists, 
black yeah. artists, yeah. black artists, black artists. And so everyone's looking for that next thing. They do the same thing in crypto. They do the same thing in the financial markets. They're doing the same thing in art. And right now, black art is what's hot. And so, you know, you have a lot of artists that are creating similar works and they're not investing the time into like creating their own voice. And like, it's just, it's so much money to be had is that if you can, if you can be, if you're, if you can paint black bodies right now, you can probably make some money right now. And, and that's what's kind of crazy. And it's alarming to see, you know, because, you know, what you guys were speaking about earlier, like, I love the fact that this is a moment that people are getting, you know, having a spotlight on them. But at the same time, it's like, what kind of bubble are we creating when we're not really allowing these artists to develop and they're already selling for 30, 40, $50,000, you know, like we, you gotta, you gotta let these artists, like, we don't even know if these artists are going to be creating art in 10 years, you know? So that's, what's been like kind of what I'm afraid of, but I also do appreciate that all of this money is going into the pockets of the black community. And a lot of artists that have, been in the shadows for so long are now finally getting their just due. But I do worry that, you know, people are seeing it as a moment and will move when it's not a moment anymore. Yeah, no, I, 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 it's so interesting to me to look at it from that perspective because it, it is commerce after all, which is, which is what I wanted to ask you, Rudy, uh, the art and commerce question, you know, I remember about maybe 12, 13 years ago, I was invited to the opening of the Museum of Islamic Arts in Doha in Qatar. And I happened to be sat next to Jeff Koons um, on the flight. So I had a long conversation with him about art and commerce. And you know, my takeaway is he kind of was one of those people who helped to reinvent the game of art and commerce. And, and I think about emerging artists like you, you know, that everybody kind of recognizes Rudy that you're super talented, but how much time you know, knowing what we know about the change forces in the world now and the cultural environment we live in, how much time do you spend thinking about, oh, artsy and digital platforms and you becoming your own entrepreneur versus kind of leaving that to the galleries or the various people who support your work? You know, if you could give us an honest answer on that, uh, I think a lot of people just understand now that, you know, the artists can't be Van Gogh anymore, just, you know, expecting things to happen and just being a recluse, how much time do you, you know, spend engaging? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I kind of to pick up on what Everett was talking about, about um, just the internet in general, I feel like um, I, a lot of the things that have happened in my career, however many there have been, <laughs> whether it not be a lot or, or a lot, I don't know, depending on who's looking at it, have come through me, right? I think that I've always kind of put myself out there and my work out there. Um, and something like, I know it's sort of never talked about favorably, but something like Instagram or Facebook to a lesser degree has been like this powerful tool that where I can post my own work. And, you know, I have gallery, I've had a gallery before the one I have now, they're doing their thing over there. And I'm putting my own work out there and having attracting an audience and being able to engage with an audience on a regular basis, like literally on a day to day basis, they can see what I'm working on. And that's something that has been really, um, it's, a, it's a genuine interest of mine, but it's definitely very um, useful as far as people. I mean, there are people that curators that follow my work that I've never met. They've never come to a physical show. They're on the other side of the country and they just follow me on Instagram and they, you know, they're 
they're following day by day, you know, work by work, what I'm making. And so that's something I definitely take on as, um, as an artist. Like, I just know, like, you just, you know, I'm not going to sit back. I think I learned very quickly when I moved to New York, I'm not going to sit back and like the phone's going to be ringing and like, you know, painting's going to be, that's just not the, you know, I think that what I wanted to add to what Everett was talking about is like, yeah, I, I'm an African-American artist. I paint the figure, but I'm like talking about politics. So my work has never been very marketable because, you know, once you throw in a level of complexity and you're challenging the audience to like every time you look at my painting, you want to cry or, you know, it challenges you. Are you doing enough? Like that's not quite what's flying off the shelves right now. And I look at someone like Carrie J. Marshall and Kara Walker, they're sort of these people that have been able to thread the needle, their work is very challenging, um, but somehow they got the right kind of support. So I actually see them as models of like, maybe somebody that I can, you know, if they can make it so maybe can I one day, but like I haven't quite tipped over to the point of, you know, whether it be a solo show at MoMA or whatever it is or where they're like, all right, he's got the stamp and now we can, you know, the, the, everybody's gonna be after my work. So. In the meantime, like I'm in it for the long run. So I'm just like making my work, doing my thing. It's sort of whether the market is interested or not, like I have a project that I'm doing and like it's important and it's being written about. It's part of a dialogue. And that's that's a thing in itself that I just I find great value in and I think is like my contribution to the world. And that the market thing is like, boy, that'd be great if it, you know, and, and it's an important part of for me, the way I think about it is almost like having a legacy. Like this work gets collected, it gets sort of preserved it gets sort of redistributed after you know like kind of presented after i'm gone like that's really for me what it's more about um and i've had to kind of think about it that way because it's not like how i make my living i guess you would say right Sorry yeah. be no 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 this is uh you know this is a point of view there's mm -hmm. a, a couple of questions in the chat because i want to move to some of the questions from the audience at this point yeah, sure. um there, there, there's a couple of questions around the recent auction results because there's been you know, in this pandemic world we're living in, these auctions have been reporting incredible numbers, as we said earlier. You know, I think it was Christie's uh, to answer the question um, in, in, in the audience by uh, Huda uh, Mustafa. It was Christie's uh, and the evening sales were almost like $700 million, right? And Jean-Michel Basquiat was there. And that's a really big number, right? Um, and it's been pretty much the same for all the auction houses. Uh, but um, I, I guess... Um, you know, the name that always comes up and, you know, is Basquiat, everybody wants to collect Basquiat because that's, you know, he's the, the, one of the kings of the art world and, you know, certainly uh, as a black person, the number one. But in terms of Rudy, your collector base, right, who may also collect at Christie's or not, um, are most of them uh, or a few of them black collectors or is the people who've been promoting your work or a few of them black or is it mostly uh, white collectors? I don't know the percentage, but I definitely have always gotten a lot of support from the studio museum. And I know that like a lot of people on their board have collected my work. So mm -hmm. when, what I know directly and who I've interacted with has been, you know, those African-American collectors, but it's. So there's diversity. 50, 50, so but or something the, like that. Yeah. The people that you know personally who've bought your work, there's a, quite a bit of diversity in there. Is that, is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, that yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. which, you know, makes a lot of sense, you know, and I've always appreciated that sort of boost you know they sort of see the value in what i'm doing and maybe collect to it on a personal level you know which mm -hmm. is kind of the language that i'm starting trying to hit people on a personal level to, to connect right. with these issues that we're talking about here yeah. right yeah well well thank you so i want to i want to move to mm -hmm. maybe a few more questions because uh, i do have um, a few so uh tabi leoka um 
she is, is from, from South Africa. She says, there's been a big interest in black art, especially African art. As an African, it has been intriguing because Africans have been producing good work for years. Is this sudden interest a fad? How do we ensure that there is persistent interest? I particularly, I like that question because it's not just about the US and African-Americans because it's really looking at black art from a global perspective, which is what I've been focused on my entire career. Um, I, I, maybe I, I would love for Destiny for you to uh, kind of take a stab at kind of answering that specific question. You're on mute. Sorry, there we go. Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, um, I, I, I'm connecting that back to whatever it was saying about, um, you know, talking to PR and how things are hot. And if they're not, we're not going to talk about it. And, and um, I mean, both from the perspective in the art world and from what I learned um, studying journalism, I think that that is kind of how, uh, I guess, considering media as a tool, um, it's being used very irresponsibly, considering that there are so many issues happening now and that, you know, we get bored, we move on. And, um, you know, I think that kind of, is part of that thread that I want to talk about things and I want to consider things not because they're popular but because they need to be discussed and I think um part of it is is being discerning with you know your your quality um you know of course there are a lot of young voices uh right now that are kind of seeing that there is this huge platform, um, whether it is in the art world and really in general, if we see it like on social media and, and realizing that, um, you know, we still have to, you know, ask and challenge for, for quality. You can't necessarily just paint something and kind of throw it out there um, because it's popular. And I think that's on both ends, whether it's the supply and the demand, um, I really think that it, it has to be something that's meaningful to you. It has to be something that is, you know, from your heart, not necessarily something that you want to capitalize on. Um, and I think that that's an issue, really, in, you know, anything we talk about. And um, I really think we just need to put a little extra work into demanding quality, one, and also we have to sort of create longevity. We can't just churn things out and sell them like we're a factory. We have to make sure that, um, you know, these artists are at least allowed to explore their artistic direction um, instead of just having that one moment and then they burn out. Um, you know, we have to work on the other side beyond sales where it's, um, how can we work in, in residencies? How can we place with, you know, museum trustees? And how can we, you know, promote this work beyond just that point of sale? Thank you. Give me the money. Um, so I think that there is a lot more work than just working with an artist and selling the work. Uh, a lot of my time and energy is focused on placing works, um, sometimes <laughs> vetting 
you know, people who are interested in a way, um, you know, not so much what's in your collection. I want to hear the blue chip names, but what are you doing to promote the artists that are in your collection besides having them on your walls? Are you promoting these artists? Are you working with museums and institutions uh, to just really, you know, promote only your love for, for the art world, but, uh, you know, just how are you, how are you pushing things forward um, beyond just, you know, giving your money? There's a little more uh, than just, you know, money. It has to be more effort behind it. Yeah, on, on that issue of, of effort and promotion, Neil Bloomstein asks a, a really interesting question, which comes up a lot, that various uh, iterations of that question. And he says, what do you think of the app that Philips recently launched that looks at an artist's social media presence? Seems like number of followers is more important than the artist's practice and the quote-unquote quality of their work and message. Everett, I would love for you to take a, you know, I know it's a, it's a difficult question, but I would love for you as somebody who's deep in the world of digital platforms to, to help us unwrap that. Uh, yeah, who gives a shit, honestly? Um, I don't care how many followers an artist has and anyone that knows anything about the art market and the art world realizes that some of the most in-demand artists and most sought after artists don't have a ton of followers. And I see a lot of like artists that are very, very popular on Instagram that can't sell work, you know? So I don't think that's a great indicator at all. What's the indicator to me is like, who is backing this person? Like, do they have the right people supporting them? Do they have, are they working with the right dealers, working with the right galleries? Do they have institutional support? Um, are they in this for the longevity? That's that's what honestly scares the hell out of me with some of these young artists in their 20s for selling their work for all these high prices. I'm like, bro, you don't even know who you are yet. You don't even know who you are as a person, you know? And so I think those, those aren't like real true indicators of the success. I think it's cute, but it's not, real true indicators of, of how successful um, an artist is or an artist will be. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think that's just kind of the world that we live in, but kind of to your previous question as well, um, what can we do to help like kind of sustain uh, this, this, this momentum? Um, one of the things that I'm doing on my side is that is expanding the art world. Right and and cultivating new collectors and new people interested in the art. Only two percent of millionaires buy art currently. Only two percent. That's a very small you know, number. The very small number. People don't understand how niche the art world is. There's still many black collectors. I mean, many black people, high net worth individuals that are not even touching art or know anything about art. And if we want to continue to sustain this moment, then we have to invest into our community and help support and in, in, in teach people. Like I wouldn't be here today if Marianne Ibrahim didn't take me as someone who didn't know anything about the art world and sit me down and really teach me and guide me, you know? And so we can't just be uh, so caught up in our own interest 
um, within the art world, but we have to continue to invest in other people and artists and other collectors for this train to continue to move. Everett, I'm glad you mentioned Marion Ibrahim because she is a good friend of mine and she's definitely somebody who's generous with her time, as you mentioned, who's um, altruistic in that sense. Uh, but from my experience, a lot of the people that I've dealt with all these years in the art world, they're very self-interested. And, you know, it's about them and their collection and their tastes and so on. And not too many people are into collaboration or sharing tips and so on. And, and, and that leads me to the question that came in from Rodney Asikia. And he's saying in this era of Black Lives Matter and the awareness of Black beauty, why are the galleries and museums not using the opportunity to re-educate, enlighten, and create opportunities for artists um, uh, to lend their voices? So I'm going to take that back to you, Destiny, because he's, he's just assuming that they're not, but maybe they are. So if you can give us maybe an example of things that you've seen in the space of re-education and lightning and creating opportunities? Um, I mean, one of the people I've been working with for years now um, is Hill Harper. And, um, you know, even, even for myself growing up, you know, 12 years old in class, kind of um, uh, with my rather unusual education, his books were some of the books that we read, learning how to, you know, just navigate the world differently than what, you know, is almost like socially engineered for, for many people. And, you know, the fact that he puts that much effort and time into motivating and educating and pushing, you know, important conversations forward, um, you know, is, is incredibly important. And, you know, I think that, I think that there are people talking, I think that, you know, we just have to look a little deeper. Um, you know, I don't, I don't say that, you know, there isn't something here, unless I look and I know for sure. And if, you know, that's something that I want to say, I'm not gonna necessarily pose it as a, uh, for lack of a better word, complaint. Um, I'm going to say like, who, you know, who wants to have this conversation? Can we start looking for people who are having this conversation? There are always people, you know, ready to have certain conversations. We just have to look for them. Yeah, absolutely. Hill Hopper is actually on the advisory board of my company, Equity Alliance. So I'm glad you mentioned him. I, I just spoke with him a couple of weeks ago. He's a fantastic guy. The final question will be for you, Rudy. And it comes from um, George Osei Prempe. And he's asking within the context of an upcoming exhibition opening in a few weeks here in London, he says, it's all about African artists and photographers. The curator is a white woman. How should white curators approach curating black African art exhibitions? Should they be co-curating with black slash African curators? Um, wow. So difficult. <laughs> I know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't I mean, I don't think it has to be right. I don't. I think it'd be great, right? I mean, there are plenty of African African American people of color curators that would love that would make sense. It's unfortunate that it doesn't happen more often, right? Uh, so that's one thing. And then the other thing, I think that okay, if a white female curator is going to do this, 
I think having been on this other on the side of it as being the artist being invited to do something and I've had good and bad experiences where I've been sort of pigeonholed like oh we want this one piece we don't want to hear all the complexity we just want to kind of present it in this simplified way I think that what um you know and so you can it's like I make a range of works and in the whole they kind of speak to the complexity of of my interests and and there have been unfortunate moments where someone was just like this is cute let me grab that and show that and i don't want all this other you know political mumbo jumbo let me just show this sort of blue abstract sculpture and let's just leave it you know what i mean and your work gets used kind of in a it's it's almost like the curator is an artist and they're using your work to say something else so so i think that how can it be done well, I think is like speaking to the artists, understanding their work, um, presenting it in that context, right? Whether it be the work you choose or the way the language that is all around it, which is very important, you know, or especially in perpetuity. So I think that it can be done well. I think that, you know, uh, but it can also be done very poorly and just sort of can be that tokenism we're talking about where it's sort of like work taken out of context this is cute that's cute i don't even know what it's about and you know and presenting it wrong um which unfortunately does happen but you know there are a lot of thoughtful people out there and i think um another strength of the internet is if you do it wrong like we're gonna let you know <laughs> like a lot of people are gonna let you know you're gonna get dragged and that's sort of like the people but giving you that feedback that no you didn't do it right it's not working so yeah. yeah, we have a voice of complaint in the in the in the chat. Roxanne Darden says, "I hear a lot of commentary about helping uh, black um, artists um, moving forward, yet many black curators don't respond or seem unreachable. <laughs> Why is that?" So we're not going to answer that question right now. But Roxanne Darden is not happy with her interactions with with black curators. With that, uh, I want to leave you all on a much more positive note because this was a wonderfully engaging and interesting and honest dialogue about this moment that we're in right now, this Black Lives Matter movement. And, and I wanna thank our, our panelists, uh, Destiny Ross Sutton and Rudy Shepard and Ever Taylor. It's been, it's, been, it's been a pleasure. And I also, of course, wanna thank uh, the 154 Contemporary African Art Team, uh, starting with Tuya Glawi and also with Olivia, Olivia Peterson. So it's been great working with you and I hope to continue these dialogues and maybe we might even run into each other uh, Everett or Destiny on one of these streets of Soho on this beautiful day. So it, it could it could happen, you know, running into each other in real life, IRL, as they say. So great, wonderful weekend to all. And I look forward to continuing this dialogue. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.